I'd like to title this sermon today, Mind Your Own Conscience, Part 1. Mind Your Own Conscience. Let's do this. I want you, and when I say do this, don't just look at me. I want you to actually do it. Turn to the right, your right neighbor and say, neighbor, let's do that one more time. Neighbor, Pastor John said, mind your own conscience. The one on the right didn't hear you, so go to the left and say, neighbor, Pastor John said, to mind your own conscience. On Friday, I was, uh, I was in a barbershop, and I was uh, getting, a, getting a lineup, getting a shape up. And for those that don't know, um, the barbershop is where everything goes down at, okay? In work, you're not allowed, or at least they tell you, you know, you can't talk about religion, you can't talk about politics, you can't talk about none of that type of stuff. The barbershop is the complete opposite. You can ter- talk about whatever you want, all right? Um, the barbershop I go to is, the, they, get a little, they get a little ratchet in there. I was going to just say that, okay? They get a little, you know what I mean? So um, I'm talking to my barber, and as we're talking, I ask him a question. The barber next to him butts in to the conversation. No one asked him. No one was talking to him. He just starts going in about what, um, what we were talking about. And my barber stopped and said, hold on, bro. He wasn't talking to you. Nobody was talking to you. You need to mind your own Business. Now, my barber is from the East Coast, and he gets a little colorful in his language. So it was a little bit more vivid than what I just said, but I'll let you guess what some of the words that he said. But he said, you need to mind your own business. I think that's what Paul is really communicating in in, in a lot of ways In this passage in Romans 14, essentially he's saying, yo, you need to just mind your own own conscience. And he's saying this to the Jews and Gentiles in, in Rome. And for those that don't know, there was some trouble. There were some divisions. There were some disagreements among even the people in Rome. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? And Paul gives a solution of love and care but at the same time of what we would call the conscience. The conscience is that internal instrument, it's that internal mechanism within inside of us that gives us a sense of what is right and what is wrong. We all have a conscience. The conscience can be informed or should be informed as well. Your conscience can change as spiritually mature or immature you may be. The conscience can be calibrated. And you should also know that we serve a God that is the Lord over 
the conscience. But make no mistake about it that we all have this internal mechanism that gives us a sense of what is right and wrong. Over the next two weeks, we're going to discover this and talk about this, because I think this is something uh, for all churches in general, but specifically Roosevelt, I think this is something that we would do well to be able to unpack, discuss, and to talk about over, over our time. And I think we should mind our own conscience because God is the ultimate judge. So instead, we should welcome one another in the spirit of unity. If I had to kind of just sum this up, this is what I would say. We should mind our own conscience because God is the ultimate judge. So instead, we should welcome one another in the spirit of of unity. This takes humility to to do this. So before we kind of start going, I just want to set a quick foundation of what I like to call the humility framework. For those that have been in membership class, Uh, our community group leaders. Um, I talk about this from time to time. And when we think about different topics and different situations, it's important for us to have what I call the humility framework. Now, I wish I thought of this on my own, but I actually stole this from a professor at Talbot School of Theology in California. He wrote an article about this. And I just want to just lay this down here when we think about the humility framework. First and foremost, we have absolutes. Absolutes are the things that you have to believe in order to to, to be a Christian, okay? You cannot uh, say, I don't believe in a resurrection of Christ, but I'm still a follower of Jesus. I don't believe that God came in flesh, but I still believe in Jesus. There are certain things that are absolutely true and that hinge on salvation. This is what we call absolutes. The second thing is we have what we call convictions. We are convicted by certain things. That could be a topic about women in ministry. That could be a topic regarding baptism. There are certain things that that we're just convicted by, by our understanding of Scripture, which is okay, but we shouldn't cross the line and make that to be absolute. In other words, you have to believe that in order to be a Christian. And there are certain topics that are just, we're convicted by, all right? And that's okay. Thirdly, we have opinions. Everybody has an opinion. Sometimes it's good opinions, and sometimes they're bad opinions. But everybody has an opinion about something. Again, as you think about different topics, what framework, what category are we putting these things in? Is it an absolute? Is it a conviction that you have? Is it an opinion? Or is it the last thing I call a question? Everybody has questions. And I want to say that nobody has arrived in this room. We're not God. We don't have all the answers. As a pastor, I still have questions about certain things in the Bible, within doctrine and theology, and it's totally okay to have questions, all right? So as we think about this humility framework, it's important, and I'm putting this up front before we even get into the text, because if you don't have a healthy framework, 
it could be detrimental. The first word in this framework is humility, which means that there takes a posture of humility to even have that. And when we're talking about certain different matters, I just want to say that our tone matters just as much, maybe even more so than whatever it is that we're talking or debating about. There is a strand in Christianity that seems to suggest that you could be arrogant, you could be cocky, but as long as you got the truth, your posture, your tone doesn't matter. And I want to tell you right now at Roosevelt, that is not the strand, that is not the, the version of Christianity that, Christianity that I'm talking about. I'm talking about that is humble. You can still be firm. You can still be truthful. You don't have to compromise your beliefs. But there is an approach and there's a way that we should be able to act. So this is the humility framework that, we, that, that we're talking about. And this may be a shocker to some of you. But the Bible has a category of what we can call the gray area. Most of you love black and white. Don't commit murder. That's pretty simple. Like, just don't do that, right? That's really black and white. Don't sleep with somebody else that's not your spouse. Pretty easy, pretty black and white. Two plus two equals four, right? But sometimes in different topics, you can't do basic addition. Sometimes it's, it's more calculus that you have to do. Maybe it's more trigonometry that you have to do. It's not as simple. It's not as easy as we would like it to be, this cookie-cutter way to put it on a plate. So when we think about black and white areas and gray areas, the humility framework in our passage in Romans 14 helps us to be able to discern what the issues were in Rome. And again, what we're going to talk about, how do we disagree with people that may be different than us on certain things. So our passage this morning starts with what I'm calling the, the matter of certain foods. The matter of certain foods. We see this in verses 1 through 4 as Paul is communicating. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. But not to quarrel over opinions. Oh, there's that word opinion there that I talked about. God doesn't want his people to be debating and arguing and quarreling over mere opinions. But it's interesting because Paul does, in some sense, make a, makes a judgment on the weak. The preposition there, the weak in, in, in faith. Paul can do that because he's an apostle and it's in the Bible. There's two categories, the weak conscience and the strong conscience. I think the weak are referring to the, the, the Jewish Christians at this time, and I think the strong is referring to the Gentile Christians. The Church of Rome, there were Jews and Gentiles, different ethnic groups, different people groups, very different 
uh, people, but they were worshiping the same God in same community with one another. And sometimes when you have two different people groups that are different, there could be some cultural tension that may happen. The weakened faith here does not refer directly to one's belief generally, but to one's opinions about what that faith allows him or her to do. I want to say that one more again, and I'm going to say it slow, because if you don't understand this nuance, you're not going to really understand Romans 14. So the faith that Paul is referring to in this context, in this text, refers not directly to one's belief generally, the general belief in Christianity. It doesn't refer to that, but to one's opinions of what that faith allows him or her to do. Okay? Weak Christians, Jewish Christians in the faith, they have a tendency towards judgmentalism. Those who have weak consciences, they can tend to be judgmental of other Jesus followers. And those that are, may have strong conscience, as Paul says, they may lean towards arrogance. Looking down upon somebody because they don't see it the way that they see it. So both of the spectrums are, are, are very um, important. We don't want to lean towards judgmentalism, and we don't want to lean towards arrogance. We actually want to be in the center of love and unity. Don't be too hard on the Jewish Christians because the background that they had, it, it kind of makes sense where we talk about in this context on the certain issues of foods. Remember, they have an Old Testament background. And they had laws, Leviticus chapter 11, that actually told them that don't eat certain things. There are certain types of foods that you should not eat to be distinct to the Lord. So their background that they have, because they're looking at the law and saying, well, we need to continue to keep following those particular laws. Now, it's important to note that Jesus he came, suffered, died, rose from the grave, and he already fulfilled the law. Amen? That's a good thing when we think about how Christ fulfilled the law. But notice that people's experience of what they know plays into what they do and how they act. All right? So don't be too hard on the weak and conscience Jewish Christians because they're just really following what they, in some sense, have been told, but maybe just misunderstanding a little bit about the coming of Christ. So there's Old, Old Testament dietary laws that they, were, that they were following that I think plays a role in, in here. We see in verse 3 that um, we should not despise, and that word despise there is very interesting. Paul uses that word despise a lot throughout the Bible, throughout the New Testament, and throughout 
Romans, and we shouldn't pass judgment. In fact, we should welcome people that are different than us. We should welcome people who are different than us, not not people that merely just think the way that we think. Amen? There should be a level of difference, but unity in the same aspect. Verse 4 gives a rhetorical question. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? And we see that the principle here is not to, not to judge, but to welcome. In Rome, the matter of foods, this was a dispute. This was an uh, uh, issue that the people were talking about. Our passage this morning not only stops with the matter of certain foods. Do you eat all things or do you just eat vegetables only? I would give my perspective on that, but my opinion doesn't matter. But I think it's kind of obvious. It mentions the matter of, of certain foods, but also the matter of certain days. We see this in verse 5 and 6. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his or her own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and give thanks. Essentially what Paul is saying, we see it right here. Each one should be fully convinced in their own mind. He is saying, mind your own conscience. Translation, my Barbara, mind your own business. This is what he's saying to the people of God as they wrestled over what days that they should esteem higher than the other. Again, what days are in view here? Old Testament had a lot of festivals. They had a lot of days to celebrate, to give thanks, to do all sorts of amazing things in honor to the Lord. There were so many different festivals. They partied a lot, all right? And there were certain days that people said, no, this day is better and this day is better. Not to mention you have the Sabbath day too. And you should keep it holy, right? So we can see how some of this Disputes, some of these issues, some of these disputable matters can influence and in how they can argue over certain things. But Paul says elsewhere that in Colossians chapter 2, verse 16, therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Church of Rome wasn't the only church that was having some disputable matters. 
So he has to repeat himself over and over again. Why is this? Because Christ came and fulfilled the law. So there is freedom, there is Christian liberty that we can partake in, whether you have a strong conscience or whether you have a weak conscience. And you can still be brother and sister in the Lord. Amen. There is space at the table to disagree. Not to merely change someone's stance, but there is space that we can be at and we can love one another and have this have this unity. The word esteem here means to make a selection, to, to, to make a, a preference over something, right? And we all have selections and we all have preferences over what we like or what we think. For me, music genres. I have a very selective preference of what I prefer. If you was to ask me, Gary, country music or hip hop? It's pretty simple what I'm gonna select, what I'm gonna prefer, right? I like all music genres, by the way. So if you're a country music fan, there's, there's space at the table for you. <laughs> but here in this text, people are selecting or preferring certain days over the other. I think the principle here is, does it honor the Lord? Because three times in this verse, Paul says, honoring of the Lord. So maybe that's a good question for you to think about in regards to whatever subject or whatever topic you want to uh, uh, be indifferent over. You can ask the question, does it honor the Lord? If so, why or why not? A modern-day example, I think, for us, a modern-day example, because when it comes to us and Roosevelt, it's not really about different festivals and Jewish feast days and nothing like that. We don't really talk like that. I, I don't. I've never heard a dispute here about Jewish festivals. But let's talk about Halloween. Maybe that's a, a certain day that some of you may esteem higher than the other. Or maybe, not maybe, I know because I've talked to some of you here, you think that, going back to the two categories here, weak conscience, strong conscience. There's a category for that, and there's a category for the gray area. Is it right or is it wrong for a Christian, a follower of Jesus, to celebrate Halloween? Maybe that's a disputable matter, disputable day that's more contextual to us. You go out trick-or-treating, you dress up as somebody or something, and you make this uh, a thing. Some of you said, oh, no, but this has roots in the occult. Demonic. Christians shouldn't be involved in that. So now we have a day in our American culture that some people esteem 
They prefer. They select over the other. I think you should run it through the test. Just ask the question. Well, what is the nature of celebrate? What do you mean by that? I noticed people have different meanings of celebrate. So what does that mean? Does it honor the Lord? I'm not going to answer that this morning. But I think that's something you probably should, you should think about. It's only March. You have a couple, you know what I mean? Like, Halloween's in October, so you got, you got time to find out where you fall on, on that. So in Rome, we got the matter of certain foods, the matter of certain days, and then, of course, this passage also talks about the matter of a certain judgment. We see this in verses 7 through 12. The matter of a, of a certain judgment. God is the ultimate judge. I think we tend to forget that God is, is the judge. Yes, he's gracious. Yes, he's merciful. Yes, he's slow to anger. Yes, he's abounding in steadfast love. Yes, God is just. Yes, God is sovereign. He's all of those different things. But the Bible also communicates the aspect that God is a righteous judge. So there's an aspect that we should say, I'm not the judge, God is. And there could be space in what we disagree, what we disagree on. God has the unique role of judge. God is the ultimate judge, so instead, we shouldn't judge others, but we should welcome. We should be grace-motivated with one another in the spirit of unity. Psalm 133 says that it's a joyful thing. It's a good thing when brothers and sisters dwell in unity. That's what Psalm 133 says. So as we are diverse, but we are also united, and there's unity that we have, we should remember and not forget that God is the ultimate, is the ultimate judge. In some sense, in the words of the great theologian, Tupac Shakur, only God can judge. I told you all I like hip-hop. We have to keep this in, in mind. This verses, these verses also talks about how uh, the, the purpose of life and, and, and to live is Christ and to die is, is gain, right? Essentially, this is what he's, Paul is saying here, which correlates what we see in the book of Philippians. Purpose of life is, is to glorify God. Whether we live, whether we die, it's all about, it's all about Christ. So a question I have for you, Roosevelt. It's simply this. A couple questions. What category would you put yourself in? Do you have maybe a, a weak conscience? Or maybe you have a strong conscience? If you're married, whatever you, just, you think you are, you should ask your spouse 
because they would know. And if you're not married, ask your friend that you are most trusted with, most close with, because they would know. But that's a, I want you to, to think about that. And another thing is, what ways have you considered yourself maybe judgmental? Think about a topic, think about a conversation, think about something that you had, and what ways that maybe you felt like you were judgmental towards somebody about. And on the other hand, you should ask the same, ask a flip question and say, where was I arrogant at? What conversation did I have with my girlfriend, my boyfriend, my friend, whoever, Maybe it's somebody on social media that I was arrogant in. Those are just helpful questions as we set the context for what's going on in Rome and, in some sense, what's going on here at, at Roosevelt and Christianity at, at large. I can name many different times of how I was judgmental and how I was arrogant, all right? But it's okay because God is still working on me, just like he is working on you. There's this thing that we call sanctification. It's the process in which the Holy Spirit is constantly, progressively conforming us to the image of Christ. And this takes a lifetime. In one sense, we already are. But in another sense, it's, it's ongoing. And it takes time for this to take place. In this passage here, there's two judgments that is, uh, well, in the Bible, there is two judgments that is, that is mentioned. Uh, Paul has one judgment in view here. There's two judgments, if you didn't know. The first judgment is we would consider the, the Bema Seat judgment. This is the judgment that is a special, unique judgment in which God judges only believers, Only the people that claim the name of Christ, that have repented from their sins, that have trusted in him and him alone. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 10 has this unique judgment that is only for believers. So that's one aspect of of judgment. The other aspect of judgment is what Revelation chapter 20 verses 11 through 15 calls the great white throne judgment. And this judgment is slightly different because this judgment here is the final judgment prior to the people who don't believe in Jesus being cast into what the Bible calls the the lake of fire, all right? So there's two different types of judgment here. In this passage, it seems to suggest that Paul is talking about the Bema Seat judgment. Why? Because he's talking to Jews and Gentiles in Christ. He's talking to believers. So there's some aspect that the beam of seat judgment here is at view. Verse 11, for it is written as I live, says the Lord. Every knee shall bow to him and every tongue shall confess to God. God is the ultimate judge. And I would submit to you that there's judgment coming. Two aspects that I mentioned, but the one that I want to just 
briefly share is that at the end of everything, God will judge the living and the dead. So a question that may be important for you is, since God is the only judge, the ultimate judge, where do you stand before him? Would it be with him in his presence, with other brothers and sisters in Christ? Or will it be away from other brothers and sisters in Christ and separated from God? I think the message of the gospel is important for us so that we can be in this family through faith and repentance and belief in Jesus. So maybe that's something that you need to hear right now, whether you have a weak conscience or a strong conscience, is to believe in Jesus so that you don't experience the, the great white throne judgment. So as I come to a close, as I come to a close, this is what I want you to do this week and actually do it, okay? Don't just walk away and don't. I want you to actually really think about this because this has implications for how we actually live, not only in church but even in our, in our family. So this week, I want you to pick uh, a certain topic, a certain situation that what we would consider disputable matters. Um, we, have the, we talked about food. Uh, we talked about that. We also talked about... Um, you know, on certain days, specifically, I mentioned Halloween. Um, but one thing that we also probably should talk about is politics. Perhaps this is a disputable matter that also should be talked about and thought about. Are you on the Republican side? Or are you on the Democrat side? Or are you a libertarian on the libertarian side for my libertarian brothers in the house? Are you anti-government altogether? <laughs> right? Let's be honest. This is a, a, a matter that I think that specifically in a diverse church like ours, we should, we should definitely walk through and talk about. 2016, 2020, those were some interesting years in the life of not just Roosevelt, but just the life of many different churches. And I think if Christians understood Romans 14 better, I think it will lessen the blow. Uh, it would help in some way, even if there's disagreements. So this is a big issue contextually to our congregation, even more so than the Halloween situation. But here's, is, here's a topic that we're going to continue to keep unravel and talking about. So maybe you think about this one, and I want you to think biblically. That means with the Bible. I want you to think in community with other brothers and sisters in Christ that may agree with you but also disagree. Because if we're trying to ultimately get to learn and get to know one another, why they think what they think and how they think how they think, it's important for us to, 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 to actually do that. 
But at the same time, remembering our posture, our tone, the humility framework. (laughs) Contrary to what some of you have been told by other people, the Bible doesn't give, oh, you need to vote Republican. Or you need to vote Democrat. Amen, lights and walls. Doesn't say it. It's not there. So the Christian vote is not necessarily neither one of them. It's about the conscience. And Paul is saying, mind your own conscience. Disagree as you want, but we still sit at the, the table together. And I know people have their reasons of why they vote and, and how they vote and why they vote. Great. Let's come to the table and let's, let's, let's talk about it. So that's, that, that's just one. But pick an issue. And here's a list of issues that I think <laughs> are, are, are some ones in the Christian church and the Christian community. Um, alcohol. I know some people think that drinking alcohol is a sin, and we can talk through that, but that's an issue, that's a topic that I think, depending who you are, sometimes it's generationally, but that's a topic that I think we could talk about. Smoking cigars, is that a sin? Or you could put cigarettes or black and miles. Whatever, right? But I'm just picking cigars, right? Is that a sin? Is that wrong? I think that that's a disputable matter, and depending on who you are, depending on how weak or strong your conscience is, you may say one or the other. That's a topic that maybe you may want to think through and talk about, right? Yoga. Is it wrong or sinful to, to practice yoga, right? Yoga has its roots in other religions and stuff like that. I've heard many Christians have this as a debate. Uh, I'm not sure how much is a debate here at Roosevelt, but I'm just saying here's another topic that is important to kind of have a conversation about. It's a disputable matter. Yoga. Education. And this one, um, specifically in the Christian world, is it sinful or wrong to send your kids to public school versus private school? For my parents in the room, y'all know what I'm talking about. Don't try to act like y'all don't know. Or charter school, or this is a disputable matter. And some of you have looked down on people that send their kids to public school. Some of you have. And vice versa. Maybe this is a conversation in community groups as you guys meet to talk about. Because education is is another disputable matter. What conscience do you have when it comes to this? The classic tattoo debate. The classic tattoo debate. Is it sinful to have tattoos? 
Leviticus says, I'm going to leave that one alone. Music. What type of music can I listen to? Can I listen to music that have cussing in it? Can I listen to country music? It depends who you ask. That's a conversation. That's a, that's a, that's a topic. Do I only have to listen to Christian worship songs? Movies. What about movies? Is it okay to watch something that maybe have some level of nudity in it? Or kissing in it? That's not your spouse. Or demonic movies. Or rated R movies. Before you answer that, just know that the passion of the Christ was, never mind. So pick a topic, okay? Pick a topic. Just one. <laughs> and listen, there may be topics on here that may not, that you may think of something else. There's, a, there's millions of them, I'm sure. But pick a topic this week, and I want you to think through your conscience on that, on that issue and where at in the Bible, if you think that it's sinful or if it's wrong, where, what chapter and verse, what biblical principle, where would you go to kind of support that? And you could do it with your family. You could do it in your community group. You could do it with somebody else. I, I, just pick that, and then next week we will spend more time thinking about, okay, now that you've picked that topic and we've set the context well, how do we live with somebody that may disagree? That's what we're going to do next week, all right? That's what we're going to do as we journey through Romans 14. In this, though, don't forget about the humility framework, absolutes, convictions, opinions, and questions. Don't forget about the posture and the tone. Don't forget about that. In the words of what Paul essentially says, mind your own conscience. And the church said, amen.